listening to Chill Spot Radio. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength. Your hosts work in the mental health field, bearing in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. Welcome to the Chill Spot Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Jared, and my co-host. This is Dr. Alan Lipscomb. Welcome back, family. Yeah, episode 11. And today we have with us Brett Riley. I will let him introduce himself. Tell, or tell us a little bit about where you work, what you do, why mental health is, uh, is important to you. Absolutely. Um, I am Brett Riley. I'm a associate uh, clinical social worker. Currently, I am earning my uh, licensure hours uh, with the Blue Clinic, a private practice in the Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles area, focusing on anxiety and depression. Um, and uh, I don't know why, I, I don't know if I've, I don't want to say I fell into mental health or the, the profession of social work. But it was something that when it was presented to me and I saw all of the, the possibilities and the areas that it offers an impact, um, it became a, a, a no-brainer. I mean, initially I, I, I was um, I had earned a master's from geront- in gerontology from USC. And, uh, <laughs> but in the end, like I remember my first mentor in this field telling me like, what are you gonna do with that? You're gonna go back and teach at SC or somewhere else? Like, cause I was talking about getting a PhD in gerontology and she, you know, subsequently like, spit up her coffee and like listening to me. But not to say, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a great field and it's very helpful actually in my social work work. But, uh, and, and, and her being a social worker and, and she just told me like, you need to go get that MSW. Yeah. Once I uh, got into that curriculum and got into just knowing more that social workers aren't just the people that are coming knocking on your door to take away your kids, right? Because that's the that's the stigma. Um, I was I was I was all in, certainly. Nice. Um, I I I too am am um, on my journey for. Uh, my hours, uh, Dr. Lipscomb actually is uh, supervises my hours. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I hope to be done in about April. So, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, You're getting it done. Yeah. Um, uh, we love to see another um, Black male um, yes. working towards his license. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure the need is. It's extremely great. What uh, tell us a little bit about like who you've been working with and uh, about the Blue Clinic? Yeah, so I'm, I've been with the Blue Clinic since uh, September of past, and um, and it's it's uh, again we focus on anxiety and depression, and our you know as our founder likes to say, we do that we try to do that with a a a feel of compassion and empathy you know so a warmthness to it right um so you know being a associate and being um accepted into this uh small but continuously growing practice you know of course i had uh 
you know, sweaty palms, you know, getting ready to get my my feet wet into the micro work and, and the clinician side of it, which is my passion. Like I want, if I'm gonna be a social worker, I wanna be a good clinician. Cause I feel like, what's the point? I mean, cause once you attain a licensure, it, your doors open up. And so sometimes you can probably, um, at least based on what I've seen from friends and just different stories, you can kind of drift away from clinical work. But so I, I applied and initially I didn't even get it. Initially they was like, you know, she was, you know, you, you have a great, you know, resume background, but just don't have exactly, cause they were looking for someone who was licensed and can take on a full um, load of, of patients. And, um, but they called me back like a few weeks later um, and asked if I wanted to come on as an associate. And yeah, surely I did. And it's been a great sense just learning what I didn't know, what I thought I knew. And, uh, and just, it's been a continual grind like every week, um, you know, Monday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sundays, you know, so, but, um, so yeah, just that experience of working with the Blue Clinic and then trying to bring all my other experiences um, from my life and professional work into this particular position. Um, so yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, you know, tell us a little bit about, Brett, your personal and professional experiences leading up to social work. You you have a, a, a breadth of experience in, in the sports arena. And I think that's important to, to, to share with our audience who are listening to provide some context to how you're coming into yeah. your clinical work and working with men of color. Yes, sir. Um, so all my life, I wanted to be a, a pro baseball player. I, don't, I mean, from I don't know, five or six from the first time I could throw the ball. So my journey was to become, um, you know, a professional baseball player to make it to the major leagues. And so my, my journey just throughout, you know, high school, or whatever, was always focused on becoming a pro. And, um, and on, on the way, I still I played other sports. You know, football and baseball were, were my two main sports, but baseball was the one sport I knew that I could make some money in, or at least I figured that was a thought or, or dream. And um, so, yeah, my whole, my whole routine, dedication, everything was dedicated towards uh, becoming a, a, a pro athlete. And so along the way, um, man, that's when you just, I, you see the different uh, barriers you you see this the inside of it the, the grind of it you know what i mean it it, it takes such a, a a toll on you it can right so mind you you know late 90s early 2000s you know there's no mental health initiatives in sports there's no making sure that our athletes are okay off mm -hmm. the regards to whatever they're experiencing trauma um you know relationship dysfunction, whatever the case is. So, so yeah, so uh, along the way, I ruptured, you know, one of my Achilles tendons in 2000, I think I ruptured my Achilles tendon. The year that I, I, I was almost certain I was gonna have a high draft stock. I mean, I, I, I almost, it was pretty certain. 
And so that sent me into this horrible place. Um, and a year prior, uh, my youngest brother was, was murdered, um, hit in a crossfire of, uh, of bullets of, of, of a person shooting at each other. Um, and so dealing with that, not having outlets to process that and, and you know, the injury and then, then moving on, um, going to school in the South, you know, Alcorn State University, HBCU, which in fact, I think in many ways, I don't wanna say it changed, it saved my life, but it definitely gave me a different uh, perspective to, to, to keep uh, going, you know what I mean? Like a different renewed yeah. fight, so. Yeah, uh, would you say Brett, at that time when you had the injury coupled with the 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 your brother right the being shot etc would you say now that that was depression and a trauma oh, reaction I, or oh absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. i mean just looking back to how i was then compared to now just how i uh i processed things how i uh dealt with persons, how I uh, became very closed off to certain pe persons, you know what I mean? Like if you thought I was mean or intimidating, all right, I'm gonna let you have that and and just be that, you know what I mean? Uh, especially that part. In, uh, yeah, right? And so, so yeah, definitely. Uh, but again, those um, outlets, I mean, they were available. They were obviously, I mean, the field has been around forever, but you know, there was no one, or at least my family, again, that's that cultural piece where, yeah. you know, no matter perhaps how educated or maybe doing, you know, your family's aware of something, that doesn't mean they had the word thought to be like, you know what, we need to go process this or go talk about this. So, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, um, again, it was a, it was a journey. I did eventually get drafted by the Angels uh, and um, was in the minor leagues for about two or three years. And you know, it was at that point, my perspective had changed so much. It was more about just uh, <laughs> the appreciation for the moment. Like I always knew I would get there, but once I got there, it wasn't the same. You know, my odds of staying wasn't the same. So it was about taking in every moment yeah 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 so yeah. once you got there once you arrived you you recognized what it was and so you had a different level of intentionality and gratitude for the moment yes yes sir it was no longer about finances making money the, the fame and glory right it was just you know i i fought hard i i rehab hard i been through a lot of uh you know, trials and tribulations and, and, and I, I made it. I, I battled back and perseverance landed me to my dream, so. Did you, did you ever between that time um, go to get any type of mental health support during, during that time that you were experiencing no, this? Okay. No, no, and I think that was probably the more detrimental part in the sense that um, it just it just stayed in. So if you're having all these thoughts about you know whatever it is, you know 
why this, why that, why me, why him or them. And, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot for a uh, 19, 20, 21, for a grown man, 35 to take, you know, that's a lot, especially when you're not understanding, um, you know, how it's, how it's coming about or why it's coming about. So yeah, it was very hard, especially, you know, and of course, you know, whatever, you know, my girlfriend at the time, obviously, and that, it's only so much you can process with a significant uh, other. Uh, um, but again, that's this goes back to not having that courage or confidence or just uh, traditional, those traditional bricks laid to be able to go to family about certain things. And so, um, yeah, to fast forward, that's one of the things I hope to still in our communities is to be able to communicate and 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 uh process these things with each other without making it feel so taboo absolutely yeah and was it was it your significant other that helped overcome that barrier of seeing someone no, no, no. That's the thing. I mean, it's hard when you don't when you, if you have when you have someone and and they're not sure. I mean, all they can do is just offer their love and support. And sometimes for some people, that's enough. Mm -hmm. But I was just experiencing a whole new world of uh, of different. You know what I mean? Of emotions and and things. And in fact, it wasn't until oh man, we're about to go deep now. So. After I got released from the Angels, um, like I was stuck. Like I was, I was like, "What? What am I gonna do?" Right? And what? So, what year was this, Brett? Just to give us context. So you said ninety nine, yeah. two thousand. Now yeah. where are we at? Well, I got released in uh, two thousand two, I think. Okay, two thousand two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so long ago. Um, I hope people are not trying to do the math on my age. But it's like, <laughs> they are family. They they googling like a mug. Oh uh, no, it's all good. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. And so, um, so around that same time, I'm thinking I'm gonna get, um, you know, serious with my girl. I I forgot to add the context. We you know we had a year earlier. We had just had this child. And so I'm thinking we're gonna, you know, I, I'm ready to settle down and I'm vulnerable and I'm, I'm feeling all of this uh, different emotions and and um, she wants to break up. And I'm like, wow, like right now, like seriously. So um, yeah, so we go through this whole custody battle thing and that absolutely destroyed me. Like that absolutely. So I'm getting, now I've got a sense of how the court systems work and how they, they view or view you in terms of um, not so much a blackmail in there, but I guess we could say that, but just experiencing it as a blackmail. Um, yeah, that part. Yeah, so it was, it was, um, it was heart wrenching. And so I was like, I, I, as hard as it was to come to that decision, I had to formulate a plan and I was like, I, 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 this is a lot, I gotta do something. And so, and what, 2003, 2004, the Iraq war kicked off. And so I went to the army and um, yeah. So I enlisted in the army and then uh, served in two tours in Iraq. 
Wow. So yeah, let me let, let me just take this in for a moment because <laughs> I, I and I appreciate everything about you, you Brett, because you're you're being um, so open and vulnerable with us in our audience, and I really want to just uplift that and, and hold that in the space yeah. because and it's, it's go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say and say thank you for that. Yeah, you know, it takes a lot to to open and, and share uh, uh, about your own personal struggles and challenges with mental health and et cetera. And so within a span of three to four years, it shifted all the way, you know, in multiple losses and multiple transitions during that time. And also psychologically, just your own experience that, that you were going through as an individual, as a male, as a black male, as a father, as a young black male father. Um, so, so yeah, so, so now. There was a you're, lot, you're right. You're, you're there, yeah. yeah. And then just for like our, our audience, I just kind of want to point out that, you know, it, the work that you're trying to do now, um, you know, you have such a great connection with what I think uh, a lot of black males have experienced, that the dream of going into the sport or into sports. Um, and, and oftentimes, I, I, I always think of all those ones who just didn't make it. I have a really, really good childhood friend who did football, who was just like this star athlete in, in high school, just thought he was going to make it for sure. Just never, never could get out. And, um, you know, he continues you know, with depression now. I, I, and, um, and also, you know, a lot, of, a lot of black males were just like in Vietnam. And a lot of them went to Iraq, Afghanistan and very low service about services for their mental health services when they come back you got both and 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 that the trauma from um your your community losing your brother like that yeah. Yeah. so i try I, I try to uh you know use all of those experiences not even try i mean when whenever right. i can or when i can offer it i certainly use all of those experiences to uh to put it into the work, um, but not even just social work, just uh, ensuring a, a, a functioning community or a functioning family or, you know, functioning friendships and even relationships. Um, it's, it's, it's all a process, but I think that, it, you know, experience is one of those great things you can refer back to. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that we use, right? And we use our grit, our resiliency, um, our, our narratives and our stories yeah. to inform the work that we do, specifically for those of us who are doing direct microclinical work, practice work, in, in empathizing, in having compassion, but also having a sense of... Um, awareness and what this can look like for men of color, yeah. right? And so uh, share with us a little bit about the, the current work you're doing with men of color at your practice that you're working at. Sure. Yeah, I, I have a, um, a significant amount of my clients are um, African-American. I don't think that's too much disclosure, but, and, and, and male. And so, um, I, I, I truly feel uh, privileged or honored that 
our our clinical head, you know, trusts me enough to direct those patients um, on my caseload. And so, and 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 the issues range. I mean, they range. I mean, we've we've gone through a tough year, you know, uh, and so you can imagine the type of stuff that. Um, people are facing, whether it's in, you know, anxiety, depression, um, whether the, you know, loss of job, you know, finances, all those different things, you know, people are just, you know, struggling. And, and so it's, it's hard to, um, especially, you know, some of my younger patients for them to kind of process what all of this has been. In the sure. past year. And then of course, the, um, I guess, what people like to term as social unrest, but just, or the primetime killing of just black people, like all summer, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot for people to take in, so. That's exactly why you're here on this podcast is the pandemic is why it even started to, to address those needs of, of uh, people of color. Yeah, you know, one one of the things myself and, and, and Jared talk about um, with many of our, our past guests is how do you balance, right? How, how do you take care of who you are and preserve self while living, while providing the services during the pandemic? So do you mind sharing a little bit about what do you do to help you navigate this, these times as a Black man provider? Yeah, yes, sir. That's a great question. I, I, you know, especially since my, since my time in the army, I've developed a, uh, just a passion for, for running and, 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 and just trying my best to, you know, stay fit. So passion for running and fitness is one of the things that my, one of, again, my first mentor in this field, um, uses the term staying glued, right? And so that's what I used, especially during this past year, because at a certain point, all I could really do, there was no more gyms. And so I had to create these, you know, street workouts, you know, whether it's running or then going on a brick fence and doing some push-ups or back arms, whatever the case is, but trying to do what I could to, um, stay focused in this time and at the same time um processing because you know coming out of sessions sometimes it's pretty heavy and so after sessions i, I need to go run and I, yeah and so i didn't notice in the beginning of the quarantine the pandemic i was maybe a half a bottle of wine a night or every two days, maybe, right? Especially when Trader Joe's got two buck chucks back in. <laughs> that is everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to, you know, not that it was an issue, but I just had to watch because sure. I saw myself like using that as a, you know, daily practice you know, yeah of, of coping and just uh yeah. wind down um and then obviously i wasn't i'm not a 
the only one because the, the section was sold out. Like everybody. No, you weren't, family. Let me tell you. <laughs> Those early weeks and months All right. of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah because you're you're right. It, you're in the house. Yes. You're, you're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere because you're afraid, right? Early on in the pandemic, information as it was coming out. So it was easy to have access to alcohol, wine, whatever, and one drink. And then you're like, wait a minute. Uh-oh, I'm three glasses in. Wait a minute, let me fall back. But but yeah, that, that, that that's very real. And what we saw and the numbers, right, uh, of right. alcohol sales went up. It went up. Absolutely. Yeah, last year. Um, so, you know, it was just trying to make sure that I can... Um, that I was okay, but my family was okay. You know, making sure my that caused a lot of anxiety with me with my my dad who, you know, beat can cancer a year ago. So making sure that he's staying his butt in the house and not trying to go to the taco shop to go buy a new pole or something because he's an avid fisherman. So he might do like, what are you? But you know, just worrying about that. Um, and my mom, you know, who. Um, had her own set of issues some time ago as well. So it was a lot, it was just a lot, just maintain them. And I was doing very well, I, you know, besides just making sure that I, I watched my, the wine that I was consuming, like it was just water. But I noticed like last year, or excuse me, last month, I, it got a little heavier. Like I, I, I felt it like finally breaking me down. So, um, yeah. What's it? What What do you mean? Can you name well, that? Well, this everything. This everything. The past year. So Got my it. aunt. We we buried my aunt on January thirtieth. Um, January thirtieth is my birthday, and so that was just like wow, you know. So that was just like a, but it, it was um, but not not just that she passed because she was you know ill, and uh, but had a very good life, but the whole Zoom funeral was was so surreal you know what i mean that part and, that part yeah and so about time all that was done preparing my mom to to see that and and just the grieving with that with her um yeah i had to i had to step back and just like all right you're not you're not okay it was all right to say all right you're not okay take a couple of days process it talk to your supervisor tell her what's what's going on mm -hmm. um and that's, you know, that's really what it came down to. I mean, it wasn't anything that was, uh, I felt like was, you know, about to cause a, a severe break or anything, you know? So I, I think that was good that you were able to recognize it. Yeah. Not only were you able to recognize it, you were able to take a beat, take a pause, step back. Also, you know, connect with your, your, your supervisor, uh, clinical supervisor around this as well i'm curious because this is you that you don't lit up all my cylinders around grief loss and trauma and so i'm curious with this being such a recent death and loss um of your of your aunt are you still grieving where are you at in your process how, how might you see that today in march you know it's a um... That's a great question. I don't think I, I haven't fully, you know, been able to process it and, and give t 
time to it, to be honest. I mean, if we're just keeping it one, I, I haven't. Um, just so much, you know, I'm still trying to do right now. And um, again, the times that we're in and, uh, but making sure my cousin, which is his mom, my younger cousin, um, that he was good because he did a beautiful job setting everything up and sending her home to be in her birthplace to uh, to be laid to rest. So I wanted to offer that support for him and that affirmation to him and that mm. you know that you know you did a great job. You know, mm -hmm, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll find time for me later. So. Mm -hmm. Good or bad, whether that's that's you know something that is advised or not, that's that was my process. Well, I, I think the piece that I want our, our our audience to hear, specifically when we think about grieving and loss and in black male grief, yeah. is that this is how you're coping in, in navigating it, yeah. right? Versus it being right, good, bad, etc. Yeah. I think the other piece that I'm hearing absolutely is the it's the honor and respect and pride that you have for you for for your aunt and her legacy and her life that she lived yeah. and also what your cousin did so you your your part of your process was uplifting and supporting him yeah. in the space um and while still experiencing the loss yourself but it helped you kind of channel it in that way at that moment yeah 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 you're right and i think I mean, obviously being a clinician now, I mean, it, I obviously know, you know, I, I have areas to look out for, you know what I mean? Like I have a, a knowledge to fall back on to know when, you know, I am properly moving through areas of grief or if I'm stuck and really just not um, coping well or, or processing well. So yeah, yeah. Sure. Great, yeah, great point. Yeah, and, and we get to we get to be stuck too. You know what I mean? Like we, we get to be in a space and in, in feeling that ifniness and, and grieving and whatever that looks like and whatever that that feels like for, for folks too. Yeah, well, I was, I was gonna, or wanted to ask, um, what, what is your experience with, uh, you know, your own therapy or, or mental health work? So yeah, that kind of piggybacks on you know on, on the question I was asked earlier. And uh, to be honest, I didn't ever experience my first therapy session until I got into the army. But it was so impersonal and so uh, I don't want to say degraded. I guess I don't know. It just what you know. You come back. You you come back from deployment, and you got a chaplain asking you. You know, everything all good, you know, and that's how they're, they've been used to doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about Jordan. So, um, so you have a chaplain who you sit in the room with for about 10 minutes and he's asking you, you know, how are you feeling? Do you have any, um, um, thoughts and, or, or will to go pick up a gun and do a thing? And I'm like, this was labeled on my process sheet as <laughs> a mental health session or a therapy session and we got Chappy in here but it's all good um for 10 minutes I'm, I'm, I'm gonna need it never to be for 10 minutes yeah <laughs> i'm gonna need it to never just be a 10 minute kind uh, yeah, of a, yeah. kind of a wham bam yeah. situation but I had way more than 10 minutes worth of uh 
stuff to talk about. To unpack for sure. Right. For sure. And, and and I think what you're touching on, and I want you to, to, to finish your point, but I think what you're touching on is context matters too in relation to how do we hold the space for folks, for men, men of color, to share their mental health experience without it being uh, labeled, without it being classified as a certain way that deters people from, from sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so just being that was my first experience, but obviously it wasn't my last and I was able to connect with some really good therapists along the way, whether it was, uh, you know, relationship therapist to make sure that, you know, I can be a whole person in a relationship and offer my best. Um, and so, but I, I'm telling you, I, I, I take the cheap way sometimes too, not the cheap way, but I, I use my supervision sessions to, to, you know, the minute my, my supervisor asks, how are you doing? It's, it's, it's on, you know, I, I'll give her 10 minutes or so, of, you know, what I've been processing. So, um, I think that's a, you know, a great tool as well. But, you know, one of the things that I, I hope to do in, in my journeys going forward is just to be able to let, you know, men that look like you, you know, I and Jared, that it's, it's, it's not only okay to utilize mental health services, but it's, 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 a, it's almost a necessity. Mm, almost essential that part yeah it's almost essential that uh, we understand how we're feeling we understand um how we're what we're thinking the moves that we're experiencing it's 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 i don't want to sound hyperbolic but it's almost life and death no absolutely I, I, and that's why i asked i didn't i didn't want to that part to get skipped over i and i didn't know the answer either but um, you know, I, I was assuming that you had some tools to keep you kind of afloat, uh, you know, in your aunt's passing, because sometimes what I think what happens is that we're actually drowning and trying to say that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pushing through, but you know, you, your, your head was at least above water, but you're, you're recognizing like, yeah, I'm not all right, but I have some tools to, to kind of some floaties. <laughs> right now yeah. yeah and i was definitely fortunate for that um that i did have something to to fall back on and uh, yeah so just uh i, I try my best to kind of reset and, and and go again so not to sound so mechanic about it but it doesn't sound yeah i, I love you know i, I I love where I'm at in life now, you know, and I, I'm happy that my family is happy and decent. And um, but I love this field, and I love this field as well. So I want to be able to offer um, what I can to the field in terms of creating a space where black men don't have to feel like, or and, and black boys and girls, you know, don't have to feel like it's so uh, horrible to mm -hmm. process emotions and, mm -hmm. and talk about emotions and feelings and what they've experienced and what they've seen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I hear in you 
as, as you're you're sharing, there's there's a tenderness in which in which you show up in the work and how you bring it forward. Yeah, brother, I try. I mean, I've had so many ex uh, excuses to be hardened. You know what I mean? I had plenty of mm. to be hardened. You know, I, I whether it's uh, you know growing up in Compton, um, being in the military, seeing my you know, brother passed away, not seeing it, but experiencing my brother passing away, you know, so just all of these things, you know, that, that gave me perfect reasoning to walk around with a mean mug all day, right? And so, but I, again, that's, there was never an option for me, I don't think. Um, I, I, I think I wanted to always be able to uh, get to a place where I can offer, um, I keep saying community, but I really believe the word community, you know, that it's, 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 it's not as uh, difficult as it may seem, or it, it doesn't have to be so taboo, you know, it doesn't, it's okay to um, feel vulnerable because what you're experiencing or thinking isn't understandable, right? So mm. that's the message I try to take, you know, when I was working with Major League Baseball, um, take that to the prospects I was working with and, you know, off the field and hoping that launched a, in, in, at least not a, if not a headquarters initiative, a local initiative at the academy we had here in Los Angeles or Compton rather, but it didn't work out that way. I mean, MLB kind of gets on the time clock when he just, you know, decides, but I think they're getting there. I know other sports leagues are obviously the NBA is in other areas, other sports leagues, but I think it, it, it's, I mean, if in, one of the things I feel strongly about is uh, athletes, particularly black men having um, um, mental health representation. That part. At, whether it's a uh, PWI, because that's where they're going to mm -hmm. have the most exploitation in terms of what they're giving out versus what they're getting back right and so um it, it's needed it's it's needed and and it's it's part of the reason one of the main reasons why i was glad to join an organization called the alliance for social workers in sports a great organization that stood up about five years ago and and they've been growing hard since so yeah, I'm proud to be a part of them. I love that. I love that. It is, and speaking of that, um, for our listeners who are interested in being a part of that work or other things, um, is there anything you want to share with our listeners, how they can get involved with different things, um, maybe refer to the practice, et cetera? Do, do you take insurance at that practice? Uh, plug in some stuff for our listeners. Uh, absolutely. If you're looking to, um, if you're seeking out services and you want to consider the Blue Clinic, uh, you can go to the uh, blueclinic.com, uh, I believe it is. And then we have a excellent intake staff that um, will try to answer any questions you have. But yeah, we definitely insurance, I believe, of most kinds. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a good place to start. Make sure to put the website um, 
with um, underneath the, um, the this episode. Yeah, I think that'd be great, especially for those who are interested in showing up, right, in, in a way that advocates for mental health for athletes or, or mental health for, for men of color, et cetera. They can get involved with uh, different different associations and things like that that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the um, social workers and... Um, the Alliance for Social Workers and Sports, uh, AASWIS, a uh, great organization, like I said, full of, uh, you know, mental health psychotherapists who are just brilliant in the field of sports and they're doing a great job in, 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 their, in their field. Um, social workers, psychologists, uh, MFTs, they're just all passionate about, you know, advocating for athletes and, uh, yeah, absolutely. They're spread out all throughout the nation. So, yeah, I, I think with this year, the last year and this year, things are not going to be the same. You no, know what I mean? No. And, and I think we we are really having to look at mental health in a different way that we haven't had to really look at. And because we are at the beginning of this of this pandemic and the impact and ramification of it, that for decades to come, we are going to be providing and needs to to provide comprehensive mental health services specifically for communities of color yeah. well that's why this podcast i mean not to gloss over this podcast is huge man like you you're not even understanding like uh yeah i try to i mean i'm not on social media so i can't just blast it out but i do put i mean i'm putting on my linkedin and and wherever i can and just text it to my contacts list but it is huge it is y'all don't thank even you understand the impact yet yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I would say I can't speak for, for Jared, but for me, I am now starting to see the impact of our our podcast that we're doing in, in many spaces that folks are having access to this and the healing that is happening, the conversations that are happening uh, and the resources that are being provided through through the chill spot radio so shout out to all of our listeners um who 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 are sharing this uh with other folks and, and to you brett for for sharing this in your linkedin and things like that but i'm sure jared has has seen some stuff too yeah yeah, yeah. and we just hope to it, it continues to be able to to you know whatever it is for you know whoever comes across it that part and um i i just i just want to say you know wow um most of most of our listeners i get to and we're pretty raw about it but don't know how like we even find uh, some of our guests but you know we we were connected with brett and um you know we we've actually known we we've made our connections and and i think this was the first um outside connection so um i really didn't know what to expect and i want to say i just kind of like blown out um of the water here that you you know this was uh this was great um and i not only are you practicing in it um you are um, you were very vulnerable with us about your own journey yeah, no, I, 
I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, um, I think I've gotten to a place where, you know, I don't, I don't mind. Again, I don't have a desire to be all hardened, and so why not let my experiences um, try to uh, create a path for healing for someone else. And, I love that. Yeah, that's that's what this is about. You know, I think there is something to be said when we create spaces for men of color, for black men that are affirming, that allows it to be at least a safer space to be vulnerable and share without worrying about being pathologized, demonized, criminalized, you know, how is this going to be used and, you know, ha ha have to worry about all of that stuff. And so, I applaud you. I thank you for for coming into our space and and sharing your truth and your narratives and the work that you're doing as as a social worker, as a clinical social worker. And it is it it it, it overwhelms my heart to see another black male doing this work, um, and and use and, and coming into it fully. Right? Yeah. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you're welcome, fam. Well, that wraps up uh, today's episode. Uh, thank you for listening. And thank you, Brett, for, for joining us. Absolutely. Y'all keep doing the work, man. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. Thank you. Will do. Thank you, fam. All right. Thank you for listening to Chill Spot Radio. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on our webpage at chillspotradio.com.